Greetings. I wanted to share a very special episode of this podcast. I was recently interviewed by a man named Ben Greenfield for the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. It's one of the top five podcasts on health in the world. If you don't know who Ben Greenfield is, he is the original biohacker. He is a human optimization expert, a world-renowned health expert and leader and speaker and author. He has one of the biggest podcasts in the world, and he recently invited me onto his podcast to talk about my book, The Addiction-Free Lifestyle. We got so deep into so many different things. We talked about all things to do with life, We our personal experiences. We got very vulnerable, very deep into our experience with addiction, um, talking a lot about addiction. We talked a lot about relationships, uh, love different relational dynamics that show up in our life based on childhood traumas, attachment theory. We got into the dopamine reset. We talked about a lot about God and spirituality and our personal walk with God and our spiritual perspectives and so many different things, biohacking, health conversations, you name it, we dove into it. I'm really excited about this episode and I'm excited to share it with you. Ben gave me permission to release this episode on my podcast as it's releasing on his podcast today. Oh, and by the way, today is my 37th birthday, May 19th. And the podcast, funny enough, comes out, came out today on my 37th birthday. So that's pretty interesting, I have to say taking that as a good omen. So I'm really excited to share this with you. Now here's something I want to share with you before we before we launch off into this episode. The Dopamine Reset Program, my 30-day Ultimate Dopamine Reset Program, we have a, a live-led group experience where I'm leading an entire group of people through a 30-day Dopamine Reset There's four live coaching calls once per week on our Zoom group program. Um, There's a video course. So there's a 30 video course with an entire curriculum that is a self-study educational course that you get as a a bonus for joining the group experience. Uh, We also have a Telegram support group as well. So incredible support program. I'm taking people through my 30-day dopamine reset process. And our group starts on Tuesday. So this upcoming Tuesday, we are going to start with the next round of the Ultimate Dopamine Reset Group Experience. I want to make this available to all of you. Now, for Ben's audience, I gave them a special discount code When you go to the checkout, all you have to do is type in Ben Greenfield in all caps, Ben Greenfield. You're going to get $50 off the regular course. If you decide to do the VIP option where you're going to get a 90-minute coaching session with me, then you're going to get $100 off, and the code for that is Ben Greenfield VIP. So again, Ben Greenfield or Ben Greenfield VIP display depending on which option you want to choose. The group experience for the next Ultimate Dopamine Reset starts this coming Tuesday, and I want to make it available to as many people who are ready to join us in this incredible journey. It is absolutely life-changing, without a doubt. We already have about 20 people signed up and ready to go in our Telegram group, 
and it's going to be an incredible experience. So the link for that will be in the show notes. The link is hhphealth.com forward slash dopamine. I'm going to give you the same coupon code that I gave to Ben's audience. And without further ado, enjoy my incredible conversation with my friend, my brother, fellow human optimization specialist, Ben Greenfield. My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. The physical body is an instrument, a divine instrument that has its own inherent intelligence, and it's being run entirely by the power of the soul. They're trying to just like get to the next thing, the next thing, but they don't integrate who they are essentially. What does it feel like to feel whole, healed, and complete in your body right here, right now? White knuckling it and forbidding certain habits and, and trying to like willpower yourself through it, because that, that doesn't work. You actually have to look in the mirror and scan faith family fitness health performance nutrition longevity ancestral living biohacking and a whole lot more welcome to the show all right i was in austin a few weeks ago one of my new friends gave me a book about addiction, and I almost didn't read it. But then I was on the airplane, I popped it open, I couldn't put it down. It was really good. And I flew back to Austin, and I went on a walk with him, and I interviewed him. His name is Ronnie Landis. This book on breaking addiction is amazing. It's really good. You got to listen to this interview, and you got to get the book. I'm going to put all the goodies for you over at bengreenfieldlife.com slash addiction. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash breaking addiction. I hope you enjoy this show. We did it while we were walking right along the walking paths there in Austin, Texas. Absolutely amazing chat. So I hope you dig it. So, uh, Ronnie, do you think we'll, we'll get like dehydrated to the point of cramping on this hellishly hot and, and muggy walk or, or did you bring some Gatorade in your back no, pocket? No Gatorade, but I did take a good amount of electrolytes on the way here. <laughs> you stopped at all the, all the places. Yeah, you know, I, whole, I covered all whole my food my and, you know, sun life, all our, all our favorite spots. Just stock yeah, up on I, salt. I had to get fueled up wow. for this. I got my usual bag of salt in my fanny pack. Did I show that to you last week when we ate at the uh, the ABBA? I think so. The Mediterranean yes. restaurant? Yes. Yeah, good, great restaurant. And Ronnie and I had dinner there, and, and uh, I, I just put that salt on just about everything. So um, anyways, though, so so Ronnie Landis and I are, are walking along the uh, the path here in Austin, Texas. Does this path have a name? Um, Zilker Park. Zilker Park. All right. So, you know, you may occasionally hear things such as the tractor that we're <laughs> about to walk by. Every podcast needs a good tractor. Uh, hopefully everything else is more soothing and nature-based, like the sound of ducks or maybe a squirrel chomping on a Yeah, we're, we're moving through. Nut. We're just moving yeah. through these little nuances. Yeah, so so forgive us for the the occasional tractor. But anyways, the reason that I wanted to go on this, this walk with Ronnie is because he wrote a book. Uh, the, the name of the book is The Addiction-Free Life. So it has a subtitle too, doesn't it? The, the true, the true path. Ronnie's holding the book. The true path to inner peace and self mastery. It's only fair he has to hold the book because I have to hold the microphone. And uh, th this this book, the addiction free lifestyle, 
Um, you know, I, I, I get handed a lot of books and Ronnie gave it to me at Paleo FX a couple of weeks ago and I, I uh, wasn't sure if I was going to read it or not, but I wound up cracking it open on the plane and just kind of read it for three hours on the way home and finished it when I got home and it was just great. Just chock full of a lot of really good stuff related to these attachments, mm. these addictions that even us, you know, seemingly healthy people can really mm -hmm. accumulate in life mm -hmm. to the extent where it becomes damaging. And so if you feel like you're attached to certain things, supplements, drugs, coffee, exercise, relationships, porn, masturbation, yeah. you name it, Ronnie tackles it in this book. And I, and I had some specific questions I wanted to get into on this walk with Ronnie. So Ronnie, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Ben. It's an incredible honor to not only be on the show, but just to hang out with you. And uh, just the testament of like the embodiment that you've held for so many years and the, not just the health world, but like really bringing in a more spiritually orientated message, which is really what this book is about. Mm -hmm. Like underneath everything, it's a spiritual manual for our own inner evolution and our own salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really when you step back and, and look at the idea behind physical culture, at least mm. my take on it. And the mm -hmm. reason I'm weaving so much of the sacredness of spirituality into my messaging is because at the end of the day, not only is, is your soul really the most important part mm -hmm. of your existence, but I mean, the, the, the source of, of happiness, of fulfillment, mm -hmm. of meaning, of connection, of love. It, it's really not necessarily your kale smoothie or you know, yeah. instead of dumbbells, it's, it's, it's all these, these spiritual practices. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, the, the topic of addiction is really interesting because it creates a lot of friction mm. in terms of spiritual development. And I, I'd love to hear your story because, mm -hmm. you know, you're an athlete. I know you were, you're competing in the, in the games, I think for Taekwondo. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your story, particularly as it's relevant to addiction. Yeah. And, and we got time. We got miles and miles of walking. Trails Beautiful. Here, so. Yeah. So I was raised as a martial artist since I was four, and when I was four, I, I can't really recall, but my first conscious memory was of Bruce Lee, and it was kind of just one of those like destined moments of like the iconography of Bruce Lee, and so many people can relate to that when I mention mm -hmm. that, like he was just such a like legendary figure. <laughs> And it, except that movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a lot of people got pissed off about the way he yeah, was portrayed. Yeah, I, I didn't even movie. bother to watch that thing. <laughs> but it, it kind of imprinted this this icon of like a real life superhero that mm -hmm. was both philosophical and physical. And so that kind of followed me throughout my life, and you know, going through martial arts and being a basketball player and all that. I was really motivated towards like my own greatness as a physical pursuit. And then I dove into philosophy, Eastern mysticism, theology, just on a spiritual pursuit. And uh, long story short, I had two knee surgeries when I was 18 and 21. And that drove me beyond the body to go into both the mind, but then also had to learn how to heal the body. Yeah. Because before it was just really all sports performance. What was up with the knees? Um, I tore, when I was 18, I tore my MCL on my right knee through oh, just overtraining. Yeah. You know, I was just so driven and I just had to like constantly train, train, train. And I overtrained. And that was kind of my first, my first opportunity to take a step back from the physical training and start to delve into more of the psychological and philosophical aspect of, of life. Right. And um, the gift of injury, personal the, development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's right. That's, some, sometimes you know. I'll get I'll get a little upset at God for throwing me a curveball in the injury department and 
typically the, the outcome is it's there to keep me humble, there to teach me a lesson I can teach to other people, or there to push me towards some type of spiritual development because I've built an imbalance between physical yes. and, and spiritual development. So, yeah, yeah, and it, it was all like my own personal pursuit, but then that forced me into actually teaching. And I ran a martial arts school for many years, hundreds of students, mostly children. And um, I really was just passionate about leading the next generation through martial arts. And then eventually the, I got into the holistic health world um, just through osmosis, just going on YouTube University. I stumbled on like Paul Check and David Wolf and these people and it completely blew my mind. I yeah. had no idea that this world even existed. Oh, wow. And that opened up a big rabbit hole where I just became inspired to redirect all my energy towards becoming a health motivational speaker hmm. and a nutritionist and studying how to heal physical, not just injuries, but diseases and degeneration and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, as far as like just speeding through it, as far as addiction goes, I think that there was always like these subtle energetics of addiction, just as coping mechanisms uh -huh. through trauma and the intensity of my own personal life, which athletics was a great way to cope with that and to channel that energy. Um, but when that was kind of taken away, I had to deal with the internal angst and this almost like existential pressure that I huh. felt. Yeah. And, you know, things like tobacco, smoking. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to I hear about yeah. the specific addictions that, that you dealt with, especially yeah. as a guy who was immersed in, in health. It's not, I, I would imagine you weren't like eating Big Macs and smoking cigarettes. No, no, no. Well, actually, not like conventional cigarettes, but there was a oh, yeah, point where I, I got into like American spirits, tobacco, mm -hmm. and quote unquote organic yeah. tobacco, and, yep. and different things like that. It was just part of kind of like the pseudo alternative health culture. Yeah, and Nic nicotine is yeah. probably one of the most addictive, currently popular supplements out there. You know, I'm shocked the number of uh, of health influencers uh -huh. we hang out with. Yep, who um, chain smoke? Who basically, no, they don't chain smoke, but they have nicotine almost 24 seven. Mm. You know, for a while, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm one of the sponsors of my podcast is Lucy Gum, mm -hmm. right? So they make like mm -hmm. nicotine lozenges and little gums, and and they and, and I really wasn't a nicotine user at all. And they started sending me this stuff, and it's great. You know, it's a good little cognitive pick me up, gives you some focus. I think it pairs great with a cup of coffee for a long riding day. Mm -hmm. But uh, I found myself <laughs> like I'd chew two pieces a day, yeah. I'd chew three pieces a day, but I wouldn't really feel it as much. So then chew four pieces a day, and you know, now now that I I've dug into it and researched and discovered that you got to be super hyper aware of yes. nicotine and very very careful with it. You know, I, I might use anywhere from zero to four milligrams a day. Of nicotine, but but I mean that's that's one that's very popular right now. Shocked me how many people once I started paying attention use you know snooses and stop at the gas station buy those little Zin packets and you know, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So you had you had nicotine going on. What else? Yeah, I'll just so basically the the main things that I I dealt with was a nicotine tobacco habit. I on and off pornography. Um, Alcohol was never really a big thing, although I drank in my younger years. I never had an addiction to it. It was more of a social thing. Um, and then, you know, social media. Like, those wow. things were, like, major, major kind of uh, addictions, if you will, in the closet. But I didn't really... I, the thing is, I didn't really know that I had any addictions until I did. Which was only, like, maybe four or five years ago. It really became obvious that... I'm in the throes of an addiction cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, I'm, I'm just curious 
you know, and and forgive me if I'm probing too much. No, here, go but for when you it. say something like a porn addiction, mm-hmm. like what's that actually mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some some guys, especially, might be listening. I know I know a lot of girls will view porn as well, but some guys might be listening. And they're like, "Well, geez, I don't know. I look at it once a week, and you know, maybe." jack mm-hmm. off a couple times a month mm-hmm. to porn or you know are we talking about the people who are like sitting in front of the computer from 9 p.m to midnight you know scrolling and swiping or right. what, what's a what's an addiction so let, yeah so let's get really clear on this thing of addiction we have to separate the mechanism versus the actual human condition itself so they're two separate things so when i say when when i'll just throw some things out there whether it's substances it's it's cannabis it's tobacco it's alcohol it's sugar it's you know, uh, certain types of food, processed food, it's pornography, et cetera, et cetera. Those aren't actually addictions. Those are just coping mechanisms. Okay. So when you ask what is, what, what's that addiction? It was actually a deeper, a deeper kind of psycho spiritual void that I was trying to fill. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That reminds me of a quote, I think by Dallas Willard, a favorite author of mine who says that when men, uh, go to porn they're seeking mm-hmm. god that's mm-hmm. what he says they're seeking mm-hmm. when men go to porn they're seeking god that's really good be, because again we're we're there there are both laudable and also potentially shameful things that we tend to try to cram into the the eternal abyss in our souls that god-shaped mm-hmm. hole that mm-hmm. authors like you know blaise pascal mm-hmm. or, or c.s lewis or or yeah. augustine right of this idea that uh, you know uh-huh. and it's hyper related to what you're talking about right now yeah porn is seeking God. Nicotine is seeking God. Yeah. Um, it's know, like a poor substitute. Else. Yeah. It's like a surrogate. It's like you're trying to fill in that space of inner tension or boredom when really what you need is connection and creativity. And so that space of boredom is actually an access point to find that creativity, but we're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we have to find something outside of us to soothe that internal disconnect that again like can only come from god or self or source it yeah. can't come from something outside of yourself yeah okay so back to your explanation of what it actually means to be addicted like what boots on the streets what that looks like you yeah. use an example of something like porn or nicotine or something like that well what what defines a, an addiction technically clinically is how much dopamine it produces in the brain and how easily accessible it is and that's a really important um, insight because and we'll get into the dopamine thing, but how easily accessible something is to you is really important because then we start to talk about delayed gratification versus instant gratification. And our ability to delay gratification, i.e. discipline ourselves, right. is really the, the most the important. marshmallow test. The, totally, right. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's such a deep topic that I began to explore and going through my own process, like as I was writing this book, the book just kind of started writing itself through me because it was also part of my own cathartic process mm-hmm. of unwinding hmm. both the, the conscious awareness of these things, but the subconscious aspects of how addiction patterns or attachments form, whether it's through our childhood, parental attachment wounds that, that form and those play out in our relationship dynamics um and that also plays out in this you know this pornography or sex addiction yeah kind of conversation yeah yeah i mean you know for, for me personally i guess if i could lend 
my own flavor to this because mm-hmm. I, I tend to have a very my my wife. It's so funny. She she doesn't get attached to anything. You uh-huh. know, you go camping and you give her a towel and a, maybe a knife and she's good. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I got wait wait wait. I need these two supplements and I got I need my little <laughs> noisemaker uh-huh. thing and. Yeah. Oh, where are my wax earplugs so the birds don't wake me up at 3.30 a.m.? And, you know, and, you know, not only do I kind of get into that mode where I become attached to certain things, but even based on genetic typing, mm-hmm. and I don't recall if you talk about this in your book, Yeah, I have yeah, some genetic that. predispositions to an addictive personality, mm-hmm. uh, mostly from my, well, it's actually from both my father's and my mother's side, both of whom were kind of uh, not super heavy drug users, but definitely had some substance abuse issues in, in their early life mm-hmm. as well. And so, so I received some of that. And so, for example, you know, I've, I've dug myself into holes before where I couldn't function during the day without a minimum of four cups of coffee, mm-hmm. right? Just severe caffeine addictions that I eventually weaned myself off of. Very, very simple for me. I just switched yeah. to decaf and started slowly diluting and diluting and diluting. And now mm-hmm. I have about, oh, three to four cups of coffee a week which is horrible considering I own a coffee company, <laughs> but that's, that's just, that's my jam and I love mm-hmm, it. And mm-hmm. it has, it's, 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 it's desired effects that way. Coffee. I, I just want to mention, like I didn't mention before, but I actually had a really strong coffee. And Ava, as I speak, I'm, I'm being mindful of using the word addiction because it's mm-hmm. not really totally accurate to my perspective, but we're going with it. Um, I had a strong coffee attachment yeah. and it's, that's a really interesting one too. And just like studying the methyl xanthine chemical grouping. Yeah, talk about that for a second. I'll come back to my addictions, but I want you to talk about that a second. You call it like a psychotropic yeah. uh, compound in your book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone that's drinking coffee, then gotten off coffee and come back to it has to admit that this is a mind altering drug. Now that doesn't necessarily make it good or bad. And the thing with coffee is that it has, it has a utility. And in the entrepreneur community, it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. For me, what I found was that when I first started getting into it, it gave me this cognitive boost. It linearized my thoughts from kind of scattered, like visionary Mm -hmm. to like really focused. But then at some point I realized that I'm sitting at a coffee shop, I'm drinking coffee and I'm not getting a damn thing done. And not only am I not getting anything done, I literally can't function. Like I, I'm, I'm like stressed out. There's anxiety building in my system. Wow. But what's really interesting is I had the conscious awareness of it, but I continue to repeat the pattern. Yeah. Which that in of itself is. Right. The, really- the, this is like the, the, the people with lung cancer who literally, and I've seen yes. this, they call it a, a stoma or like a hole in their neck that they mm-hmm. can smoke a cigarette through mm-hmm. because, and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is one of the, 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 the uh, 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 identities that yes. one would associate with addiction is engaging in the habit despite the knowledge that it's harmful or holding one back in life. Yeah, and that's that's what we call, um, what's the term? It's a, it's a death habit. It's a subtle death habit. Yeah, you use that term in your book, subtle. What's, what's subtle death habit mean? What's so mean? I got the term subtle death habit from an author named Leonard Orr, and he was kind of like this this holistic health and longevity expert in the like early 1900s. And his whole thing was about like reaching immortality. Now he died a while ago, mm-hmm. um, but one of the- Obviously worked out very well for him. <laughs> yeah, um, but one of the interesting things that came out of his work was this perspective on subtle death habits. 
And essentially what that is, is exactly what you're speaking to and what I'm speaking to is that these repeated patterns of self-sabotage that are causing us to go down a death spiral, meaning atrophy, increasing the aging process, stress, anxiety, um, causing us to go in a downward spiral. And yet we're repeating these patterns and behaviors. And that essentially... It'll go this way. All right. We're, we're turning and going across a bridge, everyone. So we'll give you the play-by-play. -play. All right, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and there's, there's a metaphysical perspective to it, um, which is essentially there, there's something that's attached to us, like our psyche. That's It's like a parasite. That's the best way of putting it. It's like a parasitic energy or parasite consciousness that is causing us to do things that not only are robbing us of our vital life force, but are robbing us of our our life. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point because it feels like it's almost like not self when those type of what you call subtle death habits take over. Now, yeah. you know, and, and I, it makes me wonder though, because you said like we're, we're uncomfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. as humans, yet it seems that in many cases this self-sabotage that occurs is almost like a need for drama, a need for discomfort, yes, a need for like yes. this angst that we create. Like it's almost like it's, we it's, create it's these dependencies because we want the struggle. Yeah, it's it's self-inflicted, and and so that's that's the um, it's like a neurotic pattern, like a neurotic psychological pattern, where somebody can't stop scratching uh, scratching an itch or stop whatever the whatever the pattern is. It's self-inflicted abuse. Uh huh. So, so, you know, the, this, this idea of addiction, you know, back to me, I, uh, I talked about coffee. I talked about nicotine, which, which I eventually kind of weeded myself off using, uh, like some black pepper extract and some mm. different essential oils, uh, along with just like the, uh, the, um, mouthfeel of gum. I, I just switched to a brand of gum that was the same size and shape and texture that didn't have nicotine in it. You know, kind of like the strategy I used with decaf coffee. Uh, there was a time in my life when I'd travel every single night before I go to bed to help me get to sleep, mm -hmm. I'd pull up some porn and masturbate, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it became one of those things like, oh, I take my CBD, I take my <laughs> melatonin, and then right. I masturbate, and then I go to sleep. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, you build up this, this addiction, this attachment, you know, another, another, you know, horrible result of that is you become dependent on it, you start to objectify women, it mm -hmm. changes your dopamine circuits in terms changes of the way they're tired up when you, when you view a naked body. I mean, yeah. and so... You know, there, there's all sorts of downstream side effects that just kind of ruin you uh, sexually, you know, in a scenario like that. And it's and like, so, it's uh, actually, of, let's go this way. This is less, less cars. It's a form of like pressure release. Mm -hmm. So that pressure release valve, we're trying to find a way to release this built up compressed pressure inside the system. And if we don't have a better and more productive strategy, then we're going to find any strategy to manage our own stress response system um and the the pornography man it's such a it's just such a deep one and it's so unassuming because in our culture it, it's so in our face and it's been so socially accepted and that's the thing with a lot of these quote-unquote drugs or drugified technology is that it's so socially accepted that we don't we don't identify it as a drug or as an addiction right right and and you know, one thing that this makes me think about a little bit is there is this, so, you know, as 
as a guy who believes we, that we are created by a divine being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and wired up a certain way, there's, there's this deep-seated human desire through essentially drugs slash plant medicines, mm-hmm. sex slash mm-hmm. relationships, and music slash rock and roll, right? Mm-hmm. The whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll piece mm-hmm. to crave this altered state of consciousness. It's right. almost like we spend half of our lives seeking an altered state of consciousness, which again, I think is partially the desire for God. Just be, and Agreed. I say this out of personal experience because totally as my connection and my union and my dialogue daily with God mm-hmm. has increased in leaps and bounds, you know, by the grace of God, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. My desire to shift states of consciousness uh-huh. has decreased dramatically. And I mean, even down to subtle, subtle nuances, like, you know, when my wife and I would make love, I'd be like, mm. oh, let's, you know, let's take a hit on a vape pen and let's do some intranasal right. ketamine and oxytocin, you know, <laughs> shift our state of consciousness. Let's just stack it. Right. Let's stack it, which <laughs> has its time and place. Right. Yeah. But it, it can become a crutch. And then as I've grown closer to God, it's almost as though you're able to slip into altered states of consciousness mm-hmm. using natural activities <laughs> without the use of external supplementation. But it is interesting. Like I think a big part of addiction, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is almost seeking out that yep. altered state of consciousness that was so beautifully <clears throat> built into us. I mean, that's such a perfect context because that, that really is the most practical way of looking at it. Um, I think what, what it is is that most of us have become accustomed to such a flat reality like our, our frame of reality is so flat and densified and heavy that we need something to alleviate to alleviate that flatness or to, to, to bring color back into our black and white type of reality. If we've numbed ourselves out throughout our life and we're just used to this kind of humdrum sitcom black and white like kind of reality, you know, the nine to five and, um, you know, kind of the quote unquote American dream that we're all sold work till you die. And then maybe yeah. you'll be liberated at some point. Um, I, I think it's, it's definitely at a, at a spiritual metaphysical level, it's definitely a yearning for the divine and just practically it's, it's from a brain chemistry and brainwave state. It's like, we're trying to shift out of the beta brainwave state. And you know, mm-hmm. th- that's an interesting term too. Like with this whole thing with like beta males, like yeah. this hyperactive, like seeking, hungry ghost energy, beta, 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 beta. Yeah. It's like we're trying to get into the alpha and gamma and hyper gamma states. And it makes me think of um, Joe Dispenza's work, right? Because he doesn't use any external um, substances to get his people. Yeah, that's what I've into, heard. Into that state. And but people have this deep spiritual awakening yes. experience. Yeah. And, and so it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's been my experience too. The more I just commit and devote myself to basic principles and practices like meditation, breath work, self-regulation, self-honesty, accountability, just my health practices, I can get myself into that state and set a new like set point in my brain. So like when I do a plant medicine ceremony or microdose, it's not compensating for, or it's not like escaping from my reality, it's enhancing my set point yeah yeah that that makes it makes sense and you know when when we're talking about especially things like sex and masturbation it makes you think about relationships too i hadn't really thought about this that much probably just because i've been married for so long it hasn't really been something i've struggled with although i would i like i know at my core if i weren't married i would struggle with the same thing Mm -hmm. and that's like this Mm -hmm. relationship 
addiction. Can you talk about your, oh, your, your relationship with relationships? <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've had, um, I've had a lot of really deep relationships with, with women at different points. And, you know, you might call it like a serial monogamist or just getting involved in really like powerful connective relationships with women that ultimately were not good for me, but because the connection was so strong, it was like an immediate access point to that, that divinity, if you will. Yeah. But then the problem was like potential projections onto the person that they're like my twin flame or my karmic partner, like whatever spiritualized perspective that would overcast the red flags. Right. And that led to a lot of what we call like trauma bonding hmm. and a lot of um, trauma bonding. Yeah. Like when two people's traumas, like their childhood traumas, yeah, but they, they fit in together like puzzle pieces. And hmm. that also explains the magnetic pull that two people might have together with that very sexually charged, like passionate charge versus a connection that has a very heart centered connection. Um, and that, that passion slowly develops over time. Yeah. We might call that a healthy bonding uh, process. Now, is that related to attachment theory? Because yes. like I personally constantly seek out verification from my wife. Mm. And what, well, mm-hmm. well, I, should, I, should, I should rephrase that. I have the tendency to do that since I have recognized it. It's not something I do as much. But uh, like seeking out approval from my wife, seeking out right. verification, seeking out praise whereas she is very distant and wants to be very lone and mm, independent mm, it's like mm-hmm. the yin and the yang of attachment styles i think mine's called anxiety attachment and hers yeah, anxious attachment uh, hers what would hers be if you're distant and avoidant alone? yeah avoidant so i'm anxiety attachment she's avoidant attachment and fortunately when we when we live our lives right and we pray together and we're mm-hmm. bonded and we mm-hmm. meditate together and you know we're making love a lot and we're just you know being super open and transparent with each other it's as though those two tendencies almost pull us together a little bit. Right. But at the same time, it's yet another scenario in relationships where I think, especially if you have like the anxiety attachment, you're constantly seeking out relationships to verify you. 100%. It's, it's seeking validation and gratification to, to validate your own existence or your own worth, your own right. value. So like as a man growing up with a single mother, I found out for me actually about a year ago doing like a really deep shamanic clearing session, it came to my awareness that a lot of my relationship challenges were partly due to this anxious attachment wound that I picked up from my mother who who I didn't receive that nurturing love from. Not because she was a bad mother, but she just didn't have the tools. And I as a child had to develop adult-like strategies to get attention and love mm. from my mother. Yeah. So then I, I started to recognize how this was subtly showing up in my relationships with other women. And then those trigger responses, those like survival responses that would kick on in moments of conflict or if if the other partner was avoidant, the more anxious I get, the more avoidant they get. And that's usually the avoidant thing is usually from the father, like the daughter to father, mother or yeah. son to mother kind of dynamic. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting how all of that can stem from the way that you were raised. Like, I often look to my mom for approval. 
I look so, and I'm very careful even with my own sons with the way that I compliment them in terms mm. of you know, like you're smart or mm-hmm. look at those muscles. You're getting, instead I'll say things like, mm. oh man, you studied hard this week. Or I noticed how, how much effort you were putting into that uh, barbell or kettlebell this morning, uh-huh. but I'll rarely praise them based on attributes because I don't want them to, as I think I did to a certain extent, develop an attachment to certain attributes, whether it's your body or your intelligence or something like that. Because what what I've found myself doing, back to the relationship piece, is seeking verification that those attributes are present. This trail's getting a little gnarly, so we can turn around, it's your your barefoot. Um, It's like it's valuing the process versus valuing the outcome. Yeah. Like you're not the product of, of the results that you gain. You, like the value is in the, in the effort, the process, the, the determination, like that you, that you give to something, the discipline, no matter what the outcome is. Well, it's apple season, apple season. That's right. Apples have arrived and I'm introducing to you the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, crisp apple. Chomp, chomp, chomp. All the benefits you've come to love in the classic reset green juice with a new juicy twist. That's right, folks. Organifi has come out with their apple green juice. It's amazing. Ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella designed to hydrate and energize and support cortisol balance. But it's made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples, and it tastes like a fresh, juicy slice of apple in every sip. And if mint just isn't for you from their old Organifi Greens minty thing. This refreshing new recipe certainly is. So it is, it's really cool what they've done. It's literally like a juicy apple that you bite into, except it's this wonderful, nourishing superfood drink. You can get 20% off of this stuff and take the meh out of your mornings with green apple juice crisp from Organifi. Organifi.com slash Ben. That's Organifi with an I.com slash Ben. Gets you 20% off. Enjoy. This podcast is also brought to you by Clearlight. Everybody wants to give their immune system a boost these days, and getting in a sauna four to five times a week definitely gives you that. I'm in mine. Well, I won't lie to you. I'm in mine seven mornings a week right now in my clear light sauna for 20 to 30 minutes, then go to a cold plunge. is the best way to start the day ever. Reduce pain and inflammation, increase heat shock proteins, great place to do your breath work or catch up on some magazines or books. You feel on top of the world because the penetrating infrared light releases so many happy hormones and chemicals in your body. Don't use the ones that microwave your body and are bad for you in high EMF though. Use full spectrum, use low EMF. I use the Clear Light Sanctuary Yoga Sauna. It's big enough for a workout, for your whole family to climb in. I have parties and I have friends climb in there. We all sit around and burn candles and incense and chat. And it's just a wonderful addition to any home. So you can go to their website and take a quiz that helps you find the perfect model for you. And you do that if you go to healwithheat.com. And if you mention my name or where you heard about them, they're going to give you a huge discount. They're going to give you free shipping. Uh, you can also use the code Ben when you're over there. It's a huge savings because these saunas are big and heavy, but they're well-made. So the free shipping is, is a huge bonus. So healwithheats.com and use code Ben for a discount and for free shipping. You mentioned the meditation guy, Da Silva. Is it? Yeah, Joe, yeah. Uh, Joe Dispenza. Joe, Joe Dispenza, yeah. Um, but there's another guy who you talk about in the book that uh-huh. you say that you learned a lot from, a guy named John, John mm-hmm. Demartini. Yes. I think I actually have his book. I read it a few years ago, The Values Factor. Yes. Did he read The Values Factor? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about uh, what, what, what exactly you got out of John Demartini relevant to addiction. Man, I mean, John Demartini is one of the living masters in this world and the human development specialist. And... I, I spent a lot of time with him. I did a great interview with him many years ago, and I spent uh, two days with him in one of his workshops. 
and wow. So there's two things that came that come out of his work primarily is this value system determination, which is essentially understanding your own core values, not the things that you say you want or the things that you project onto the world, the social motifs and stuff, the things that you think you should value, but the things that you actually intrinsically value as a way to be more authentic, to be to be who you actually are. And then this other piece is he has a perspective that built into every single situation as well as like the universe as a whole are the complementary opposites. So the yin and the yang, um, parasympathetic, sympathetic, anabolism, catabolism, male, female, support and challenge, entropy, syntropy. Like there's always support and challenge built into every situation because as human beings, we're wired for growth. Mm-hmm. And the right left hemisphere of the brain. So his whole thing is about integrating the polarities into a state of neutrality. So you're not too positive. You're not too negative. You're not up. You're not down. You're always centered and integrated so you can perceive reality accurately. Now, is that related to the eagle eye perspective that you talk about? Yeah, the the eagle eye perspective is just a term that I coined in relation to this perspective being able to see life from a higher vantage point mm-hmm. because we get so caught in the myopic minutia the the hindus would call that the maya we get caught in just like the small little trivial details of our life and we get stressed out and and just bogged down by those things but if we're able to take a more neutral equanimous perspective where we can rise above and kind of get like a god's eye view on things Mm -hmm. we actually see the implicate perfection in all in life in all situations the geometry of life is working out perfectly but if we're a fish in a water tank you you can't teach a water you can't teach a fish about water yeah because you're in it right you have to be able to zoom out in order to see what's really going on it's kind of a little bit related to my own process of evening Mm self-examination where I will close Mm -hmm. my eyes. I'll play the entire day, like a movie in my mind, Mm -hmm. watching myself Mm -hmm. acting out my day third person. Right. Uh So I'm looking at myself with that kind of like Eagle eye standpoint, detached from your person on the movie screen, detached, you know, and in this situation I'm, as I'm meditating and this is like a four to five minute evening practice, I'm asking myself, what good have I done today? Mm -hmm. What could I have done better this day? And that in many cases, includes identifications of areas where I fell into attachment or I fell back into addiction to something because you can nip that in the bud when you examine at the end of each day. And and then, of course, where was I most purpose-filled? Back to, you know, something we've alluded to already, that having a strong life's purpose along with the connection to God is one of the best ways to reduce that need for escapism and that need to shift state of consciousness using substances. But yeah, it sounds very similar that evening process of self-examination it's it's a it's like a self-inventory process and what i what i'm getting from what you're saying is that you're essentially being honest with yourself Mm -hmm. and this is the whole thing with addiction by the way it's not so much about white knuckling it and you know forbidding certain habits and and trying to like willpower yourself through it because that that doesn't work you actually have to look in the mirror and scan and mm-hmm. like assess and just be honest and, and take it out of the shadows and put it into the light. And I really like the the spiritual um, framework because it orients our mind towards something that's beyond our own 
self-limitations, our own stories, our beliefs, our wounds, our traumas, yeah. um, our phantom fears. Like we get so caught in that. And I think one of the biggest issues, spiritually speaking, is that we've been taught through this scientific, materialistic, atheistic culture mm -hmm. that we're insignificant. We're isolated on this planet. Yep. Um, we're all by ourselves. Right. And without without whether people believe in any type of religion it gives us a framework to actually look beyond to something you know something beyond us to to a creator you know whether that's ultimate truth or not i believe it is i know it is just like mm -hmm. you do um but i without that my mind would go into chaos yeah yeah i agree i mean there's another book i'm reading right now called renovated excellent book I, two, two great books of people, I think, who are listening to this, who are into the spiritual mm -hmm. uh, side of, of addiction, uh, renovated by Dallas Willard, the last book he wrote before he died. That guy I mentioned earlier who said that when men go to porn, they're seeking God. Mm -hmm. And then also um, the book Resilient by John mm -hmm. Eldridge, mm -hmm. which more talks about how to stay in daily union with God. Because mm -hmm. for me, when it comes to the hyper-awareness and the ability to slow down and breathe that I think is necessary to be able to identify, you know, oh, is this a true, you know, need for energy or am mm -hmm. I just having a craving for mm -hmm. nicotine mm -hmm. or, um, you know, is, is, is opening up this website right before I go to bed in a hotel room at night, mm -hmm. the type of thing that if my wife were sitting right here wow. with yeah. me that she would really enjoy seeing, you know, or, or feel proud of me about. Um, you know, what would this look like if I were on a movie screen right now engaged in this particular activity? You know, all those type of mental mm -hmm. triggers, they seem easier to come by when, as this book Renovated points out, I'm engaged in what I consider to be three of the most important aspects of my spiritual lifestyle. Daily dialogue with God. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't say... I don't say uh, prayer as much as dialogue mm -hmm, because I mm -hmm. think sometimes we forget that God Agreed. is a father and a friend who's here to Agreed. help us. Yeah. God's not here to like, uh, you know, like you might learn in Sunday school, like send you to hell for touching your penis, yeah. right? Like that's not, that's not what God it's is. It's like a yeah. shadow masculine yeah. interpretation right. of God. Right, exactly. So, so dialogue with God and then um, uh, uh, setting aside all fear and placing all yes. trust in God, you know, fear. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to have enough energy today unless I do the coffee and the nicotine or I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight unless I take this supplement and that supplement, or I'm not going to, to feel, you know, myself in this social situation unless I have, you know, engaged in yeah. this relationship or yeah. this sexual yeah. practice. And so it's the daily dialogue with God, the trust, and then finally fully loving other people, you know, just, just yes. fully acting out the golden rule. And those uh -huh. three things, dialogue, uh -huh. trust, and love really to, to me have made tackling my own propensity towards getting addicted and attached to certain things mm -hmm. a lot easier to manage. That's, that's so well put. I completely agree with that. And it's like how I think about the, the utility of the idea of God as a loving heavenly father is that it keeps us honest and accountable, especially us as men. Mm -hmm. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, the accountability factor as a man is so key. We, 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 we need that. We crave that we're designed that way and it's not just accountability with other men because other men are just men we need a higher source of accountability so we can aspire to be more than we currently are right not through fear not through shame not through guilt but through aspiration and inspiration right and that's also by the way what came up for me when you're talking about you know 
your the dynamic with your wife and it's very similar with my partner where it, I, I had an ayahuasca experience the last one I did last um, December and I start stripping me of all my all my attachments and like mm-hmm. social media my career like mm. all these things that I think are important it just starts stripping it all and it showed me the only thing that's actually real is relationships mm. it was like fundamentally the only thing that's actually real is relationships and it showed me this image of me with my wife with children in the future mm. and it was like if you really want to devote your life to God devote your life to one woman yep and I was like oh okay thank yeah. you yeah well it's it, it, it you know coming coming from a married man who uh, has been happily married for a while and is likely biased because of that <laughs> uh-huh. that extreme amount of, of fulfillment and satisfaction that I get from having a, a, a strong family rooted in faith at home. Mm. I can tell you that once I realized that aside from my relationship with God, family comes first, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. equipping my children, loving my wife. When I leave the home, making sure just everything is set up for them in terms of preparation, in terms of provision, in terms of love. I I always thought like you go out and you work and then you bring the bacon home to the family. Right. And it and and would often put more energy into mm. work than into family. And I've completely reversed that total 180. Like I I put a lot of focus on the relationship with my wife, the relationship with my family because at the end of the day, it's like all this work that you do, you know, it's all for naught. It's like it's like right. the people who make a bunch of money and have cars and boats and homes and you know fancy toys but don't have time to do anything with it because they're just working have you found through that way of being that that's increased not only your prosperity but the quality of opportunities that come to you i don't know about the quality of opportunities but the um like because i honestly like i ones are really almost like say say no to more but yeah choosing and prioritizing those things that would best allow me to be there for my family yeah absolutely so the quality has, has profoundly increased. And, you know, we, we kind of got down the road there talking about certain tactics, like stepping out and looking at yourself mm-hmm. in the third person, uh, developing a spiritual walk with God. Uh, we talked about like some practical things like using, you know, black pepper, you know, instead of nicotine or decaf coffee instead of regular. But then there's some other tactics that you talk about in the book. One was called the, um, the quantum collapse right. process. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. one Intrigue me. Tell me about that one. Okay. So, so the quantum collapse process is a, it's a process that I've developed that I take clients through and do workshops on. And essentially what it is, is it's a, it's a hybrid between what I've learned from Joe Dispenza and John Martini, And it's a, it's a meditation breath work practice where I have people go into just a normal state of breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth and guiding them to drop into their autonomic nervous system. And essentially what the process takes people through is their own their own inner landscape, meaning they're able to track, scan their own nervous system response. And through the breathwork practice of them completely just surrendering and being guided through it, mm-hmm. they're able to track the sensations in their body and detach from the stories in their mind that are essentially blocking them from really feeling what's going on in their physical system. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It sounds a little bit like contemplative prayer. Sure. Uh, sure. In, in contemplative prayer, at least 
my own flavor of it. I sometimes will talk about things and feel as though I've bastardized them and turned them into my own version. But <laughs> contemplative prayer, you, you sit and you first become mindful. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the mm -hmm. temperature and the sensation of the air that's coming in through your nostrils with each breath? What is the sensation of the fabric against your skin or the socks against the sole of your feet? What little mm -hmm. puffs of wind can you feel in the room? You know, what's the sensation in your hands? Are they tingling? Are they numb? Are they cold? Are they hot mm -hmm. to the feet? What's the sensation in the gut? Is it settled? Is it tight? Is it cramped? Is it bubbly? Mm -hmm. and, and you just mm -hmm. kind of do a full body scan. Yep. And then the, the prayer part of it is you then just basically imagine Jesus coming into the room. And this is really powerful because a lot of times you'll literally just like see Jesus like as a vision coming into the room. And you can even do this with your eyes open, which is interesting. A lot of times mm -hmm. with contemplative prayer, you start eyes closed and then you go eyes open as you begin to look for Jesus and and you pay attention to, you know, how's he carrying himself? Mm -hmm. What's the tension in his mm -hmm. shoulders or the lack thereof? You know, what's kind of looks of, of love and forgiveness and pride <laughs> is he giving you? How is he comforting you? And you just basically sit like there with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and, and you know, th this can be something that you just pause and do for, for two to four minutes at a couple points during the day. But then at the very end, you just basically ask Jesus for what it is that you need, you know, ask him for help, ask him for strength, ask him for direction, ask him for peace, ask him for wisdom. So it's, it, you know, contemplative prayer essentially is like mindfulness meditation combined with seeing and talking with Jesus. And yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible in terms of just connecting with where your body is in the moment, but doing so with the guidance of a, of a deity. That's, that's really interesting because that, that, that like that theological framework is great because that's essentially what I'm guiding people through. And I have like audio recordings. People can do this on their own too. You, one layer of it, it would be that process. You're, you're doing a scan to clear the like preliminary um, layers from the system. And then once you, once you do that, now you have more of an access point to actually determine your internal set point. So for example, when people are deep in the process and their system is down-regulated, I'll, at, I'll, I'll kind of go through a process and say, okay, what does it feel like to feel whole, healed, and complete in your body right here, right now? Hmm. And then, so the idea is that we're creating new reference points for lived experience so the brain and the body can sync up together. Because, you know, the stress, the anxiety, the depression, all the things, we've patterned those in our neurochemistry and our nervous system. So those are reliable reference points for states of being that are familiar. Yeah. And if we're trying to change those things at the level of the mind, we're just gonna be in our mind. Yeah. And we're just gonna be going back and forth, but we're never gonna move an inch. Yeah. So it helps to create um, like a, it collapses time essentially in this in past present into the moment, into the physical body. So somebody can actually gain a new reference point and practice that so when they go out into the world, it has an accumulatory effect in their system. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's so interesting that a lot of this does come down to mindfulness. And I mean, there are, there are other things too, you know, like for example, you know, this is gonna sound super trite compared to what you were just talking about, but like three of the top things that I do if I have some kind of a craving mm -hmm. and, or, or I'm trying to break an attachment to something, I think you talk about one of them in the book. <laughs> push-ups yeah meaning like yep. oh, i want this piece of you know 
nicotine gum. Fifty push-ups. I, I, I want. I want to. Um, you know, have a cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah, for me it's thirty. Thirty is the magic number. Thirty push-ups. Uh -huh. um, popping a piece of gum, which I realize could sound like an addiction of itself, but it's like this tiny little sweet little dopaminergic uh -huh. hit that's uh -huh. just like it's not that damaging, right? And and so just like chopping off a piece of gum when you when you're craving something else that you might be addicted to, and then the last one is music. I find that just yeah. listening to a yeah. really really great song yes. can make you forget about what it was that you felt helplessly attached and addicted to five minutes earlier this is okay what just came to me is so dopamine is a really deep interesting topic one of the things that dopamine does is it controls our time perception and so when somebody has like low level dopamine they go more into a depressive state and they usually are more focused on the past Mm -hmm. And so time, the perception of time slows down. Right. And it gets too long. Right. This is like when you're low on dopamine. Sometimes this can happen after a weekend of, of partying, for example. Yes. And you go to the gym and you're just, you feel like soul crushed, sweating your eyeballs out. You feel like you've been <laughs> there like an hour and you look at your watch and it's been like four minutes. Yeah. A lot of times that's low dopamine. Yeah. Or you're, you're doing a, a withdrawal program or a cleanse or a detox or a dopamine fast and this is why it's so challenging if people don't have the right strategy because their their dopamine baseline drops and that's when all the cravings come up because the yeah. brain gets addicted I, I don't necessarily believe that well that's a whole other topic but the the addicted personality the way i look at it is that your brain actually develops addiction pathways of its own hmm. and it's it it has associated an outside substance as the way to alleviate its own stress response, its own inflammation. And so we, so that craving or that agitation is a way for the brain to trigger the body into getting that thing to relieve um, its yeah. own addiction tendency. Yeah. And, and you know, part, part of this though makes me wonder, you know, I talk about like push-ups or gum or music or these little like bursts of energy. You know, you have a section in your book, I, um, I, I wrote down the page. It's page 112. You have this quote in the book where you talk about where we should be getting our energy yes. from. Okay, And okay. I, I think we may have alluded to it a little bit, but can you go into that quote? I, yeah, I yeah, could read yeah. it if you want me to. No, I, I, okay, I, you got I know it? what you're talking about. Okay, tell me There's about it. There's actually a perspective I, I have on that real quick from a cellular metabolic perspective. So, and especially like in, in our relative field, in the audience that listens to you, everyone's familiar with like basic cellular respiration of glycolysis, sugar metabolism, and ketosis, fat metabolism as the primary energy sources for ourselves. And that's like level one, right? That's kind mm -hmm. of the materialistic level. Right. Then under the macros. Yeah, the macros, right. And then underneath that, our cells respire on oxygen and hydrogen which is why things like ozone therapy is so powerful and hydrogen therapy. And um, and we're, we're made mostly of water, right? We right. all kind of know that. So that's an interesting perspective. Then underneath that though, and you, you learn this through fasting. And I did a lot of fasting, especially when I was a raw vegan for many years. Okay. That led me into the world of cleansing and detoxing. And I'm like on a five day water fast and I'm like, whoa, I have more energy right now than anything. And, Maybe that's because of autophagy of 
protein deposits turning into cellular energy and ketones right. and glycogen, all that. Okay, fine. But through that process and through my own research, I came across another perspective from a, a theoretical physicist named Fritz Albert Popp, who discovered that our cells fundamentally are operating on what's called biophotons. Hmm. And so this is this is this is ultimately to me really where true energy comes from is from our living environment. Biophotons, photons, light frequencies or light energies like we're mm. doing right now, the penetration yeah. of the UV light to our skin and our skin has more photoreceptors than anything. Right. We're, we're light beings, right? Yeah. We're water-based beings, yeah. we're light beings. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not quite plants, but we interact right. from an energetic standpoint with light photons way more than most people even realize. Yeah, and, and Rudolf Steiner said that like, the human being is an inverted plant. Yeah, that's right? true. So yeah. like the leaf of a plant is like a solar panel that's, that's receiving the light through photosynthesis, turning it into energy. We're doing the same thing in our own unique process. Mm -hmm. And so I found through a combination of fasting, cleansing, and getting into nature, getting barefoot on the ground, the negative ions that are pulsating and going through my system and getting spring water, getting into bodies of water, hmm. and then getting the sun exposure, my energy levels skyrocketed, but it wasn't like a stimulation. It was more of this core Ojas Jing restorative, like primordial yeah. energy. Yeah, I've, I've felt that. It's, it's the energy that you have when you're when you're you're camping and then forced away from all the devices and the indoor boxes and you know it's barefoot it's water yeah. it's 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 a lot of times you know clean or natural food or very little food at all and you're of course walking in your bare feet right now i had to ride my bike down here and i'm a wimp so i've got shoes <laughs> on but i am a little jealous because right now i mean i would imagine you're you're even harnessing some of these negative ions from this trail right here well, as, i had as to walk, meeting up you know, with you yeah. i was like i, can't, I know i know you, I can't you, you, the you were all excited for me to be connected to gaia and here i am <laughs> with my uh, with my brooks on but um you know it's that is really interesting this idea that we're energetic beings i mean nikola tesla i mm -hmm. think it was who said you know we're, we're all just like vibration and energy and many people especially since the days of at water and calorie counting and measuring the caloric equivalent of foods mm -hmm. have kind of made this assumption that our energy is derived from either supplements or calories but i mean even jesus christ right says that we are not sustained by by bread, bread alone right, right right there's a there's a lot more and I, I know he was alluding to subtle energies as well mm -hmm. when he said something like that or at least have a strong sense yes. that he was referring not only the to your relationship with god but just what mount sinai yeah right yeah exactly exactly okay so um in in terms of the uh the, the addiction piece. There's one yeah. other thing that I wanted to ask you about because I thought this was interesting. It related to to addiction specifically, mm -hmm. and that was um, movies and entertainment. Right. Because like I think a lot of people they're super into it, and it's of course super accepted to have your Netflix show, and mm -hmm. and, and you know that's not a struggle of mine, but I know a lot of people deal with that, and they probably benefit from hearing your take on it. Yeah. So I call it entertainment entrainment. This is really key to understand. So the brain doesn't actually have a context for what's real and what's not actually real. And so what we're perceiving through the optics of our eyes that go into our brain and our consciousness is being deposited in our subconscious mind. And not to say like any of this is inherently wrong. However, 
when we're glued to the television or we're watching these enthralling movies, all movies, all successful movies are built from the framework of uh, the hero's journey kind uh -huh. of cycle that yeah. Joseph Campbell put together, yep. which, is, which is a predictable cycle that mirrors our own hero's journey if right. we're on a hero's journey. Right. Ordinary world, call to adventure, refusal to call, yes. meeting with the mentor, crossing the threshold, test allies, enemies, yes. approach the innermost cave, uh, the ordeal the road back the resurrection and the return with the elixir that's amazing i think that's Dude, it that's <laughs> wow yes and what's interesting about that too is like so we can get inspiration from these things but usually we're actually numbing out because it's just entertainment and we're not actually on our own hero's journey and we start to live vicariously through the characters in a movie and the brain can register that as if we're having the lived experience, which is why we know it's a movie, right? Mm -hmm. But something in us, we can get emotional, we go on the ride with the characters, and our brain starts to, uh, well, it can just interpret it as if we're having the experience, but we're not actually living it. Yeah. And this is the same thing with like video games or pornography for that matter. If somebody's watching pornography, you get this hyper normal stimuli of dopamine which again controls time perception and you your brain is so flooded with this stimuli the simulation as if you're the one having it yep and then as we know as, as a lot of us men know is like you have this increased almost like cathartic release then after it's like kind of weird it's like leaving a crime scene it's like yeah. whoa, wait, oh god yeah didn't feel like, quite oh, right something's, something's missing something's wrong there like, whoa I, i'm yeah. just gonna like clean up and just walk away yeah. as if that didn't even happen yep, yep. <laughs> um so yeah I, I i agree with that and the part about watching the movies and living out someone else's story it's really interesting because a lot of really impactful people I know, they don't consume a lot of entertainment. Yeah. And I think that's because they haven't scratched that that itch of having done something epic through someone right. else's experience. So they're creating their own epicness in their own life. I've also... This is why people um, watch sports so much, right? Right. right. I, I, I'm, I've always been a guy who'd much rather play. Totally. Than, like, even during the Super Bowl, I'd be the guy who's like, yeah, let's go to the football. Let's the football. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to watch the game. And then the, the idea behind movies also i think and this is an interesting theory that i think i first read about in a book about the secret life of plants yes of all things is this idea that yeah. it suppresses dream cycles because all of the lights and flashes and colors on the television right. screen allow the same type of cognitive processing that you'd normally achieve through dreams and so you miss mm. out on a lot of the memory consolidation and the building of creativity oh, circuits so in the brain when you're outsourcing your creativity and your dream ooh, cycling ooh, to the television ooh. instead. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're essentially fragmenting your psyche with all this external input, but then what about the output? What about the, the cognitive dumping? Where is all that stuff going? Right. It's like it creates all these open tabs in our brain, but just like a CPU processor or your browser, if you have all these open tabs, it slows down the processing system and it just creates congestion. Right, right. And then, you know, related to the uh, to to the piece about uh, porn. One last thought on that is a lot of times you're watching other males. You're watching yes. other males <laughs> have sex with these these females that you're that desiring. That you wish you were. And with. it creates like this this beta process <laughs> where you're literally watching the other members of the tribe do the thing that you wish to be doing physically 
and it almost like hardwires this beta circuitry it in you to you where in you a become beta brainwave yeah state. you become a less dominant male because you're just so used to watching other males do what you're craving to do it's so insidious yeah it, it's it's horrible i mean there are entire books on this and websites mm -hmm. like your brain on porn.com but that's it's definitely a big one and so you know there, there's obviously a lot of considerations here there are a lot of solutions but one solution that you lay out that I'd love to dive into a little bit mm -hmm. is something you call the dopamine reset protocol. Yeah. I know some people might be aware of this because there was a gal who recently wrote a book on dopamine. I forget her name. Uh, you may yeah, have heard, I, like, I, she yeah. kind of made dopamine, dopamine fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Anna Lemke? Yes. Yeah, yes. Anna Lemke. Yeah. So, anyways, talk to me about the dopamine reset. Okay. So, I, I really got deep into this about two years ago. I've been studying dopamine just on and off since you know 2011 or something and i got into it with multiple sclerosis research and parkinson's and realizing that dopamine not only is this like really powerful neurotransmitter that's related to pleasure and reward so i came to find that dopamine can is highly it influences all your motor functions and the myelination of your nerve cells and um just so many aspects of the physical experience so i, I just been kind of tracking this on and off for years but then about two years ago when I started working through my own coffee and tobacco addictions and realizing that I'm stuck in this like perpetual dopamine loop, I realized that I needed to actually start studying this a lot deeper. And then I started looking into this idea of dopamine fasting. And the basic idea with that is that you're essentially abstaining from all external dopamine inputs. And so all the quote unquote addictions. Wait, quick question. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the people who are supplementing with L-Dopa and Macuna, which is, again, kind of like uh -huh. nicotine, something I've found. I think you mentioned this in your book, too. A lot more people than you know are literally taking dopamine as a supplement. They've built up such a tolerance to it. This is actually a really good point. So with, with the dopamine dilemma, as I call it, you have two things going on. You have the dopamine receptors in the brain that have been blunted and numbed out from excess dopamine stimulation. Um, and those receptors, when they get blunted out, there's so much more dopamine coming into the system that the receptor sites can't take in all that dopamine. So they just get numbed out over time. So the receptors themselves have to be repaired and rebuilt through neurogenesis. And that's part of the part of the thing there is when you're fasting or abstaining on the external dopamine inputs, it gives the brain space to go through its own neurogenic neuronal regeneration process. Okay. And then, and then there's the other side, which is the dopaminergic system itself that needs to go through some sort of repair process. Some people are not able to produce dopamine because their hormones are out of balance, their adrenals are out of balance, they have some form of toxicity they built up in the body. Um, they're, in a, they're in a perpetual sympathetic stress overload yeah. state. Yeah. Right? So... Then the L-DOPA, which I got into about 10 years ago, getting into this research, um, is really an interesting Ayurvedic herb in of itself. But um, basically what people are doing is they're, they're trying to rebuild the dopamine circuits. Yeah, and I forget, by the way, with that one, it is the, the Makuna pruriens from which mm -hmm. the L-DOPA is derived. That, that is a plant, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's an Ayurvedic herb. They call yeah. it the velvet bean. Okay, and it also right. has growth hormones in it. Interesting. Yeah, so that, that's that's what they prescribe, like a pharmaceutical version of it with people that have 
like Parkinson's and other dopamine related issues. So we know what dopamine is. Yeah. And as far as the dopamine reset protocol, you know, walk me through the soup and nuts of what that yeah. actually looks like for someone who's like, okay, Ben, Ronnie got me convinced. I, it super bugs me, whatever, nicotine, caffeine, porn, social media, relationships, mm -hmm. food, exercise, yeah. you, you name it. What uh, do I do what, about this what, now? what does it look like? Okay, so I'm gonna lay out my protocol and I've adapted this over just the last 10 years of my, kind of my framework that I, I work with people on. So the first level is what we're talking about. It's the abstaining and withdrawal process that I call the reset process. So there's three phases. There's the reset, the reboot, and the recovery. And so the reset is just like, it's the, it's the withdrawal process, but the way that I do it is, I don't have people just abstain cold turkey. That, that doesn't really work very well. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I implement particular nutritional protocols to help people reboot their neurotransmitter system to sometimes um, rebuild their microbiome system okay. for nutrient absorption, um, the gut-brain connection, um, dietary kind of protocols, like all those basic things that you talk about all the time, amino right. acids for rebuilding the neurotransmitters, okay. um, different types of supplements, so B vitamins. On, so on the dopamine reset protocol, it's not like cold turkey water. No. You're essentially replacing, it sounds to me, like a lot of the yes. nutrients or the minerals that would have tended to have become depleted as the body has been in sympathetic overdrive yes. for so long. Specific. Like probiotics, mm -hmm. amino acids, magnesium, et cetera. Minerals, trace minerals. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, things of that nature. Uh, like understanding, for example, in my, in my, my online program, I have a PDF that I'll walk you through right now, just the framework. Yeah. There's specific protocols for coffee, for cannabis, for social media, for porn, oh, wow. for um, so it can differ sugar. from 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 vice to vice. Yes, and, and the basic the basic supplemental protocol is relatively the same. There's going to be a full spectrum B vitamin um, supplement with B6, B9, and B12. There's mm -hmm. going to be an omega-3 fatty acid protocol or supplement mm -hmm. there's going to be a full spectrum magnesium like the bio optimizers um there's going to be always a free form amino acids like the ones that you guys used to use mm -hmm. um because that's like really the, like, that, like the key on aminos exactly yeah. like those are those are the building blocks right so i want to help people restore the building blocks and also re-engage with their cellular metabolism so they can start to produce energy naturally and they don't have to go through this drastic dopamine withdrawal. They can just start to kind of build their baseline back up. They can work through the cravings. Now implementing the second factor is the lifestyle itself. Mm -hmm. So integrating a lifestyle blueprint, including some sort of movement fitness um, protocol, which is up to the person. It can be martial arts, weightlifting, running, yoga, um, you know, whatever, getting into nature, whatever, whatever your deal is, you just need to move the body. You need to start mm -hmm. engaging with the body. And then there's another piece to it, which I think is one of the most powerful insights, which is um, it's it's a it's a waking and sleep cycle framework. OK, so what I walk people through is this this understanding that just like nature has its own seasons and cycles, our body has its own seasons and cycles. And these seasons are actually happening throughout every day. Mm -hmm. So we have a morning cycle, a midday cycle, and a night cycle. And through developing a nighttime ritual leading into sleep, it helps people actually 
drop into a, a restful sleep practice. And then when they have, when they wake up, there's a morning ritual, morning practice that they develop for themselves. And then you're starting to set the stage to balance out your biorhythms. Mm-hmm. And then in the, in some point in the midday, uh-huh. there's also a transition phase. So for example, in the morning, you're transitioning from sleep time. You're coming back into your body. So what I tell people is before you get out of bed, definitely before you check your phone, put your hand on your heart and just take 10 diaphragmatic breaths. Hmm. You're engaging with your body, you're scanning it, you're essentially prioritizing yourself first thing in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's got, there's there's even an app that I've used in the past for this, though I've uh, since distanced myself from the app because I can, I can just do it without using the app, but I think it's fantastic. It's called the Pause app, mm, mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting because when you first get it, the only pause you're able to unlock is the one minute pause. You got to do that three times and it brings you up to the three minute pause. And then uh, I think there's like a, a five minute after that. And I believe a 10, mm-hmm. but it's it, literally, you can play it when you get up in the morning. It's soothing music, soothing voice walks you through kind of something very similar to that contemplative prayer and mindfulness practice yeah, I talked about. That's it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, whatever it takes, it, it's, it's this idea of, I mean, the way I think about it, Ronnie is, checking in with the body and checking yes. in with God. Yeah, that's it. That's at it. the very beginning of the day. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like the tendency is that we check our phone, we have an alarm clock, we get on Instagram. Immediately the moment we do that, our dopamine system is so sensitive that we get neurolinked into this digital interface and our our brainwave gets all scattered and right. we we our, our our energy for the day just gets scattered and so the idea is that we're organizing and structuring our energetic with intention and focus first thing in the day to create that foundation yeah yeah okay so so the 21 day dopamine reset protocol you said the first part is reset yeah okay right and then reboot okay so reboot is essentially it's if you think of um your computer like the ios processor on your mac every now and then you're gonna upgrade to a new operating system, right? Right. So the idea is that you have to reset the the system itself before you can reboot. Right, you always have before to, you can go from Maverick to Leopard to Cheetah to right. whatever other most, odd, oddball OS name they call it. Yeah, most next. people in the like human potential or optimization world are trying to skip levels. Right. They're trying to just like get to the next thing, the next thing, but they don't integrate what they've learned or, or you know, who they are essentially. Mm-hmm. And there's a great quote by Ken Wilber, which is transcend, but include. So transcend the level that you're at, but include everything. And so that's kind of the idea. You have to learn how to reset or it, turn well, off. You mean include everything that's positive. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you wouldn't want All your life experiences, the, the wisdom. You've gotten rid of that, on the reset part. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's why we do the reset. So the brain can go through the, its cognitive pruning process. If we don't learn how to shut down the system, then we're not gonna be able to auto-delete all those old files. Right. So you go through the reset, which is essentially abstaining and letting go of the detrimental habits themselves. The brain is gonna go through its own cognitive reset process, and then we support it through the nutritional and lifestyle practices, and then the reboot process is is kind of like a skill acquisition process. Okay. So we're engaging with new patterns and behaviors and habits that are going to help restructure a new identity. 
Okay. And so the Got reboot, it. if you imagine like on the operating system when it's loading, now you're in a loading phase. Okay. So you're loading new information, a new version of yourself. And then the third, and obviously you have to practice the things. Um, and then as the brain uh, restructures itself and readapts to these new patterns of being, then you go through the recovery phase, which is really just the integration phase. Okay. Um, last thing I'll say about this is a little bit of a metaphysical perspective. The recovery phase to addiction is that we're essentially recovering the parts of us that got lost through childhood trauma or through relational trauma or mm. the parts of us that the innocence, the innocence in us that got lost along the way of life. Yeah. What, what I found through leading people through these processes over 30 or 40 days, not only did they get like all the physical benefits, but what I started hearing from people was simple things like getting off coffee. Mm. They started to feel that child inside of them that never got the love or the attention um, or felt abandoned. They, there was something inside of them that kind of clicked in and, mm. and integrated and uh, that, that's like the recovery process. It's not that you're recovering from being an addict, you're recovering a part of yourself that got lost and led to the addiction. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's really interesting because I feel like to a certain extent, even before I read your book, I'd kind of stumbled across doing something similarly when I'd find myself attached to certain things. Like basically asking myself, okay, what, what has this depleted or what hole is this, is mm -hmm. this attempting to fill? Meaning in many cases, an addiction can only deplete minerals. Let's say coffee, for example, you know, depletion of minerals, depletion of some of like the uh, the dosahexanoic acid you talked mm -hmm. about, the oleic mm -hmm. acid for your myelin sheaths, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then the the adenosine receptors. It's like, what do I need to reset, and then what do I need to replace that's been depleted? And then there's kind of like that phase that you go through, which I suppose would be the reboot phase, yeah. where you're just kind of listening to your body as it deals with not having access to what it had before while having what that thing depleted replaced. And then finally you get into this phase where it just becomes the new normal, the new it lifestyle. It becomes the new normal. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And there's a thing that just came up. I think you'll really appreciate that. I, I really want to get across to people. My personal perspective is that the physical body is not just being run on electrolytical impulses from the brain to the body or whatever the, the, you know, basic physiology of it. The physical body is an instrument, a divine instrument that has its own inherent intelligence and it's being run entirely by the power of the soul. So the more somebody is insold, meaning they're embodied in their physical body, mm -hmm. they feel safe to be their body, they're fully expressed, they're authentic, they're in their value system, they're following what's truly meaningful to them, the more the body turns on. Yeah. And I know this because we've seen it like in cases of spontaneous remissions where people have an oh, yeah. automatic healing that has no rhyme or reason or no medical explanation. Yeah. Somebody's completely yeah, revived their addictions, their afflictions, completely removed, their identity shifted completely. And I want to drive that point because it's not just, the, the physical stuff is like the, the support and maintenance for the physical body. Yep. But the spiritual, the spiritual aspect, the metaphysical aspect really to me is, is really the real deal now related to that you talk about your own kind of unique three-step flavor of prayer in the book 
mm-hmm. and how prayer has helped you. Uh, you know, I, I know that you believe in the power of prayer. You and I have been prayed before this yeah. podcast, yeah. not in like a pharisaical, hey, look at us on Zelker Trail praying type of manner, but just to dedicate Real it to God and, and, and ask God that it helps some people out, which I'm hoping if you're listening right now, you're learning some things that help you. But Ronnie, you also talk about prayer in the book, and I believe you say three different kind of steps. So you, you point out three different steps for prayer. I'd have to go back so. to find those three exact steps, but I do. But what I do know that I talk about in the chapter is essentially my perspective on prayer is like a living prayer, mm-hmm. right? It's not just words you speak, or it's definitely not coming from desperation or like treating God like a vending machine. Um, yes. To get, me, <laughs> to, to get me out of this thing that I got yep. myself into time and time again. Um, it's, it's like an embodiment practice. Mm-hmm. So like as I go into a prayer practice, I am seeking to embody the energetic of my prayer so it's living inside of me right. versus me grasping for something outside of me to bail me out of something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that comes back to the dialogue piece. I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. that considering yeah. your relationship with God as being dialogue, not vending machine based, yeah. is... It's, it's just a very magical way to live once you're able to feel the presence of God in everything that you do and see God in everything. I don't believe yeah. that I don't believe that we are God or that plants are God. Like I don't have a totally, universal approach totally, totally. in terms of who I believe God is, but I do believe he reveals himself to us in yes. a bite of steak, in mm-hmm. a sip of wine, mm-hmm. in a lover's embrace, mm-hmm. in the smell of a rose, in the feel of the you know the sand and the gravel against mm-hmm, your feet mm-hmm. right now, Ronnie. All of these are revealing God to you. And if you're engaged, living with creation, fully mindful, while at the same time opening dialogue with God throughout the day, even just like taking a breath, like a mm-hmm, simple breath mm-hmm, in through the nose mm-hmm. and having it be a breath of gratefulness, I, I, I just can't emphasize enough how much I've found that to help me manage just about anything yes. that I've been trying, you know, back to the eternal, you know, abyss in the in the soul that I've been trying to fill with other substances. As soon as you plug God in, you know, and, and it's so simple, yet it's it's something people resist so much, mm-hmm. I think, because they they just feel like there's gotta be another solution. The next well, supplement, the next hack, right? yeah, the it's next like- recovery protocol. But it's gotta start, in my opinion, with with a spiritual connection. 100 percent and what comes along with that is a confrontation with the shadow like our 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 shadow tendencies our traumas our our less than moral or ethical behaviors our self our self kind of interests or agendas like we have to confront that shadow nature of ourself and we have to do it through love like that's the, really the only way but it's a journey to get there right like mm-hmm. and it's and it's, it can be arduous and it can be lonely and, and very confronting and I think that's why it's hard for people to go in front of the mirror and really look themselves in the eyes and really scan and really like really see themselves. Yeah, and when I say they, I mean us, of yeah. course. Um, until I started doing this, I started looking myself in the mirror and scanning like, okay, bags under the eyes. Uh-huh. Okay. And then tracing like, okay, well, you know what? You didn't get enough sleep. You didn't follow your own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or just, you know, just being honest with myself. Yeah. And I found through that process, yeah, it was a little bit confronting for a moment, but then it was also very liberating because I didn't have to hold it in the closet. 
I didn't have to pretend like I needed to have everything together or be this kind of like Superman character where right. I had to have, I had to be the healthiest person ever just to get out there and speak about things to help people. I just need to be honest with myself and, and give those things over to God, like you said, yeah. to, to lighten my load so I could actually let go of the stress I was carrying, which was what, what was leading to these like these addiction patterns, which was just a way to cope with my own drama. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you jam-packed a lot into that book, man. And it, it is available for sale right now, like on Amazon. Yep. People get it? Yeah, and they could actually okay. get it on the website, theaddictionfreelifestyle.com. Cool. All right, I'll make sure that I link to that in the show notes. The show notes are going to be at bengreenfieldfitness.com slash breakingaddiction. That's bengreenfieldfitness.com slash breakingaddiction. And then the the reset protocol, the recovery, like you work with people one-on-one as well? I, I work with people one-on-one, and I actually have a dopamine reset uh, video course. So... It's a 30 video course that goes really deep into everything to do with dopamine. It also goes into personal development aspects. It goes into trauma, addiction, um, supplementation, like all these kind of lifestyle factors. So it's called the Ultimate 30 Day Dopamine Reset Program. Okay. And it's it's a self-study course, but every quarter we do a group dopamine reset as, a, as an add-on for everybody who signs up for the video course. Okay, cool. Does anybody ever get addicted to the course and keep coming back for more? Paradoxically, <laughs> that's an interesting thing, right? You got sometimes you got to trade out one thing I'm addicted to breaking addictions. Yeah, well, that, well, that is a thing too. Yeah, here we are back at the tractor. Isn't that a, isn't that good good timing and a way to bring it full circle? Absolutely. Back to the annoying beeps and loud crashing sounds, and I hope that uh, the fact that we recorded this while walking was not too distracting for those of you who are listening in, but. Man, oh man, I, w- I would just highly recommend Ronnie's book to you or to anyone you know who is dealing with an attachment or an addiction in life. Uh, again, it's the Addiction-Free Lifestyle. I'll link to it in the show notes at bengreenfieldfitness.com slash breaking addiction. And um, Ronnie, I just, I feel like uh, I feel like we connected for a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to, to be acquainted with you now. Hopefully I can call you a friend. Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Give me a hug, brother. Thank you, bro. There's a nice sweaty hug that you guys can listen to on the microphone. (laughs) And uh, thank you all for listening. It's Ben Greenfield Fitness. Even though I got to remember, I got to start saying bengreenfieldlife.com because I rebranded. bengreenfieldlife.com slash breaking addiction. Have an amazing and beautiful and hopefully addiction-free day, everybody. Okay. So you've probably heard about peptides. There's like 7,000 different kinds of peptides, which are these short strings of amino acids. And scientists, naturopaths, and doctors have been using peptides now to treat a whole bunch of different complex chronic illnesses, protect against cognitive decline. I've used them for muscle gain, for fat loss, for healing up injuries faster, for gut issues. They're even really good for anti-aging and longevity. Many people even use different kinds of intranasal peptides for for uh, like a like a smart drug, they use injectable peptides to get lean super fast. Uh, there, there are so many uses for peptides, and uh, the fact is, it can be kind of confusing what to use, how to use it, etc. So, my friend, six-time former podcast guest, Dr. Matthew Cook, who is brilliant and one of the world's leading experts in peptides, has put together a peptide summit with me and several dozen other leading experts in the field of peptide therapy and regenerative medicine to basically teach you 
how to biohack your body using peptides. It's going to be a pretty cool summit. Uh, the first seven days uh, are all virtual. You get full access to all the different interviews. Uh, they're going to give a bunch of, of free bonuses, a whole bunch of cool stuff. And uh, anyways, if, you, if, if you've always been curious about peptides, you will turn yourself into a total peptide ninja going through this course. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash peptide summit. bengreenfieldlife.com slash P-E-P-T-I-D-E-E summit, S-U-M-M-I-T. Check it out. Uh, it is coming up pretty soon, May 17th through May 24th. Hey, just a few days left to get ready to meet me over in London at the Health Optimization Summit, one of the world's biggest, grandest biohacking events. And if you're interested in staying fit or healthy uh, or just defying aging, learning a ton, this thing is amazing. Not only can you get a VIP ticket where you get to join me and the rest of the speakers for this exclusive super fun dinner, but in addition to that, there's 35 different game-changing health speakers, a huge expo floor where you get to try out things like you know, Biocharger, the Hat B, the Power Plate, the Aqua True, the X3 Bar, Everything's there. You go to summit.healthoptimization.com. They're weird over there in Britain, so they use the S. Summit.healthoptimization.com. Use code BEN. That gets you 20% off our regular ticket or VIP ticket. Summit.healthoptimization.com and use code BEN. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be, and just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.